This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. So a phase one deal is apparently agreed upon and rumors have it being signed in the month of January. But what exactly does it entail? Agricultural purchases is one element, but what else is the U.S. receiving for apparently cutting tariffs? Peter Walker is a former senior partner at McKinsey & Company. He's the author of the new book, Powerful, Different, Equal, Overcoming Misconceptions and Differences Between China and the United States. And he joins us right now. Peter, thank you very much for, for your time. He will be joining us, actually, a little bit of a phone issue. We will get him in just one second. Uh it is uh, obviously an important time now for the United States in terms of having this deal done and moving forward and getting it signed. Uh, he is uh, uh, President Trump has pushed hard on this to get this done. There is uh, a lot of question as to what exactly the impact will be from a phase one deal getting done right now and whether or not there will be a phase two deal uh, starting the process. We already have commentary from people in the White House saying that uh, a phase two deal will be moving forward, uh, at least the uh, negotiations for it will be moving forward in the very near future. The question is whether or not the scenario sets up for China to go ahead and want to make a deal on a phase two, phase two deal if, in fact, the United States is going to cut back the tariffs uh, a, a significant amount. Now we have uh, Peter Walker with us. Peter, welcome. Yes, thank I'm you. Here. Thank you. Great to have you with us. So you talk uh, in the book about misconceptions and differences. What exactly are we talking about? Yeah, well, there there are a number of misconceptions. Let me let, let me start out with what I think are the underlying differences between the two countries that drive the misperceptions. Uh, I, I think one of them is, you know, is basically that China is a collectivist society. America is an individualistic society. And, and that creates a lot of misperceptions around the whole issue of human rights. So in China, because it's a collectivist society going back to Confucian days, uh, when you ask people how things are going, they always talk about how the country is doing. So they talk about 800 million people out of poverty. Uh, they talk about what's been done to improve infrastructure in China, what's been done to improve health care. Whereas the U.S., as an individualistic country, always focuses on human rights first and foremost, which, which, which is a non-starter in China because their point of view is it's a handful of people and therefore, from a collectivist point of view, it's of little consequence, and they view it as meddling. But I'd say human rights is probably the biggest area of contention, and a lot of that, again, is driven by this mindset difference of a collectivist society versus an individualistic one. So I read that you've made uh, quite a few trips to China over the last decade and a half. How do we build, then, a better relationship with the Chinese moving forward? Well, you know, that's really the $64 question, um, because I think we had a lot more leverage with China if you go back maybe 10 years ago when export trade from China to the U.S. was a big part of their GDP. And, and the reality, it's become a pretty inconsequential part of GDP. So we don't really have a lot of leverage with China. Uh, 
you know, the, I, I think the slow but sure way of getting it done is more people-to-people exchange and contact. One of the real problems is you got 26 million people from China have visited the U.S. Hundreds of thousands go to school in the U.S. every year. Less than a million people in the U.S. have ever have ever been to China. So I, I think if you started with a uh, an administration in Washington that viewed getting to understand China better and treating them as equals would be a huge step forward. Unfortunately, with Trump, you've got someone who basically believes the word the world is made up of winners and losers, and if anyone else wins, we lose. And so that antagonistic perspective, which clearly manifests itself when you look at what's going on in the trade war, uh, makes it very difficult. Um, the people who were most inclined to build the relationship because it's important to them are the multinational companies. And I've talked to many CEOs who basically say the trade war is a disaster for everybody. Uh, so ending the trade war and getting business to speak out more forcefully would be a huge plus. But You know, most individual CEOs are not willing to speak out because Trump is very vindictive at an individual company level. So the only time they speak is as a group, like the business council. So I've wondered this uh, over the last few weeks as we were seemingly getting close to having some sort of an agreement on on a phase one deal is whether or not there's an impetus there for China to want to even do a phase two deal. And you kind of alluded to it at the outset of whether or not we have enough pressure uh, to to want to bring them to the table at this point. Yeah, no, I I think you're exactly on point. You know, at the end of the day, uh, if if you go back and look at the sequence, the first thing Trump said was trade wars are easy to win. The second thing he, he, he did was to keep piling on tariffs with the idea that the Chinese were going to surrender. And if you know anything about face in China, there's no way China was ever going to surrender, apart from the issue of leverage. And really, I look at the phase one deal as a total win for China. I mean, at the end of the day, we rolled back existing tariffs, we delayed new tariffs, and in exchange... The Chinese agreed to purchase agricultural products, but an unspecified amount and unspecified dates. So from the Chinese point of view, they gave up nothing. And even though Trump you know, likes to toot, toot his horn and basically say we had a great phase one deal, the reality is when you look at the details, there's nothing there. And uh, on your point on phase two, phase three, which is where we're going to get the big structural changes in China on things like baking into Chinese law protection of intellectual property, and most importantly, getting the Chinese government to remove itself from its involvement with the economy in China. Those two things are never going to happen. And so China will always put on a smiley face. They'll always go to the table. Peter Walker, our guest, who is a former senior partner at McKinsey and Company. He is author of the new book, Powerful, Different, Equal, Overcoming Misconceptions and Differences Between China Here and the, U- in the U.S. So then, Peter, how do you view President Xi right now? Because I, I think I think we see President Xi 
more of a you know a, of a statesman. He obviously has been meeting with President Trump a couple of occasions. We saw him at Davos uh, two years ago. How do you view him and the job that he is trying to do? Look, I, I think if you look at she's what she has said. Uh, you know, he's very eloquent. Uh, so if you go back to his first speech at Davos, uh, I know a number of my fellow partners at McKinsey basically said this guy was incredibly forceful, articulate, clear. He stole the show. Uh, but if you look at what's happened in China, China has gone from having largely solved the poverty problem. They're down to like the last 20 million people, which for them is inconsequential. So nationalism is what's being stoked instead. And uh, so when you look at all the action around the South China Sea, what's going on and the rhetoric on the trade war, she is taking a very nationalistic point of view. So you know, I, I really don't think you're going to see him do anything other than exactly what's in China's best interest. And because we have so little leverage with China and because we antagonize them the way we went about the trade, I think it's likely that you're going to see him taking actions that are going to lead to a better relationship between the two countries. He doesn't want a bad relationship, but he's not going to, he's not going to give up real real territory in you know in the broadest sense of the word to to achieve that so then what is the state of the chinese economy right now because i think a lot of people if if you listen to president trump get the sense that you know the, the chinese economy is really struggling right now or at least it's it's well off yeah, of well, what what it has been in in the last few years as well yeah but yeah i mean what what trump never says is that their GDP growth has fallen to a number that's now more than double what ours is. The, the reality is the momentum in the Chinese economy is huge. Export trade is, is a much smaller part of the total. Consumer spending and consumption is increasing significantly. Services is increasing significantly. The Belt Road Initiative is, is going to increase trade significantly with developing countries. And they're very well positioned on the 2025 initiative, uh, which is basically investing heavily in the 10 most critical advanced technologies. So, you know, I know Trump loves to tout, uh, you know, the notion that China is really suffering. Uh, I, I think it's it's totally hot air. At the end of the day, when you look at the numbers they're producing, and if you look at the control the government has over the economy, they control interest rates, they control deficits, investments, inflation rates, currency. Uh, we don't have anywhere near that central control over the economy. It's driven largely by businesses. So uh, I think that Chinese economy, while it is going through a hiccup phase, to put it in perspective, we have to keep coming back to the fact that it's still growing GDP at more than double the rate of the U.S. Mr. Walker, thank you very much for your time today. Greatly appreciate your insight. Peter Walker, former senior partner at McKinsey & Company, as we mentioned, author of the new book, Powerful, Different, Equal, Overcoming Misconceptions and Differences Between China and the U.S. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.